You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. The man we're going to focus on some this morning is a man by the name of Belshazzar. This is a guy in the book of Daniel that was a very foolish man. He was the the king of this great city, but he was so foolish that he knew they were under siege. There was an army surrounding the city, but he wasn't worried. He thought, well, I've got decades of food available. The Euphrates River runs right under the city. I've got plenty of water. And then he threw this massive party, and he would pay for that. And right in the middle of it all, like we've seen in this whole book, right in the middle of it was this faithful servant named Daniel. And Daniel would have the unenviable job of telling Belshazzar that he would lose his throne. But of course, Daniel came and told the truth. He interpreted some strange letters that appeared on the wall of the palace. The king thought he was protected, but he wasn't because he had put his security in the wrong place. And I think you and I do that sometimes too. We put our security in places that we think are going to always be there, but can disappear in an instant. And what I want you to know this morning, there is only one place. It's only one place that's constant and secure, and that is the arms of God. And if you want to try to build your own security fences or your own security blankets or your own security forest, I I would say don't do it. We're going to see this morning that you're just going to get sucked up into a lie. And you're going to be ruined by this fabricated and contrived sense of security. I don't want that for you. And so in the Word of God today, we're going to look and see how we can avoid that through the counsel of God. And so I want you to take your Bibles, your phone, or your tablet, and turn to Daniel 5, beginning in verse 1. If you want to use that Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's page 742. So Daniel 5, beginning in verse 1. Now you remember where we are here in this narrative. Daniel was deported from Israel, from Judah, southern Israel, as a teenage boy all the way to Babylon. He's one of the brightest and the best, but he refused to be assimilated into Babylonian culture, risking his own life to do it. But... His friends, his friends, well, they, they had to risk their lives in an even greater way because Nebuchadnezzar was a bit of a narcissist, the king at that time. And Daniel had to interpret a dream for him. And he, he, he interpreted the dream as Bel, that Nebuchadnezzar would fall. And then Nebuchadnezzar overreacted and built this massive 90-foot statue of himself. He said, you got to worship this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not doing it. The sentence was, you're into an industrial furnace. Good luck with that. But God, he he rescued them. It was amazing. And then another dream came in in chapter 4. And Daniel had to interpret that too. And this one had equally bad news. And it came true. And Nebuchadnezzar became mad and lived like an animal for seven years. But God in his grace gave him his throne back. But now there's a new king on the throne, and his name is Belshazzar. And he was there because he was an ancestor of 
the king Nebuchadnezzar. His father was the actual king over the whole area, but he, he, he tossed the power over to Belshazzar. Bad idea, terrible choice. Let's see what happens. He throws this lavish party, and then this haunting event took place. Look at 5, 1 through 4. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So this party has all the earmarks of a king who really thought he was too powerful to fail. He, he had put his security in this lavish city, in his power, in his own sense of accomplishment. And here's the first point I want to get to this morning. Satan will try to convince you that you can find security without God. This is one of his best ploys. He tries to convince us that we don't really need God. And, and the problem is, because of the sin that dwells in us, it's natural rebellion against God, so we tend to want to drift away from God and toward self-sufficiency. And when we do that, it ends up being a spiritual disaster. But that's exactly the way Satan wants it. He wants to destroy you. He wants to convince you that you've, you've got it. You don't have to worry. This world's going to be here forever. All the things I've accomplished will be here forever. But it's not true. You are not a reliable source to build security in a spiritual sense. And in this case, Belshazzar had totally fallen for the lie. He had mocked God. Not only were they partying to drunkenness and idol worship, but he used the very utensils for eating and drinking that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the temple. That's a big deal. And so he was mocking God this whole time. And the prophet Isaiah saw this coming. He, he prophesied about this in 47. For you have trusted in your wickedness. And have said, no one sees me and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not no. Isaiah knew Belshazzar was lulled to sleep. Not only had he debased his responsibility as the monarch of that area, but he arrogantly mocked God. And his judgment was so dulled that at this very moment, the Persian army, which had surrounded the city, was diverting water so they could walk through a canal right under the city walls and dethrone him. He didn't have a clue. He, he, he was confident in himself that he was invincible. But here's what he forgot. That life can change really, really quickly. 
Life can change really quickly. And all of a sudden, all of our security blankets and our rugs that we put under us get tossed away, and it happens before we know it. That one phone call, that one moment we take our eyes off the road, that one sexual indiscretion, the knock on the door that every parent dreads can change our lives overnight. And if we're not prepared, uh, it can be devastating. And so what, what I'm asking you to do this morning is to trust God and not yourself. Because frankly, you're not up to it. Because you're not in control of circumstances that are happening around you. And this certainly changed everything. If you look at verses 5 through 7, all of a sudden the king wasn't so brash and brave anymore when a terrifying event took place. Look at verse 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. So this is very detailed. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees locked together. And in defense of the king, I mean, who wouldn't? You're at this party, and all of a sudden a human hand appears and starts writing on the wall. It's like more terrifying than when your children write on your wall with crayons and sharpies. But here's the thing. All of these things that are happening in the book of Daniel were real. And the man who had the most powerful throne in the world had come in contact with the supernatural, and he fell to the ground. But he hadn't learned his lesson, because what does he do next? He calls in the same old group, the sorcerers, the magicians, the enchanters, and he should have called Daniel. So not only will Satan convince you that you don't need God, here's the second point this morning. When you place your security in God, you're going to be remembered for the right reasons. And Daniel, we'll see now, had this legacy that he left behind that caused him to be once again inserted into this strange situation. So in verses 7 through 9, the king calls for these enchanters, these Chaldeans, this group of sorcerers, and the astrologers. And I, and I looked at this and I thought to myself, why does he keep going back to the same sorry group? They didn't help Nebuchadnezzar. They couldn't interpret anything. And then I thought, well, it's because old habits are hard to break. And sometimes we put our security in things, and even though they're destructive and harmful, they feel good. They feel familiar. So we run back to them. And so here's the king now calling in all of these people, but someone saves the day, and it's a queen. If you look at verses 10 through 12, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father... Light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, 
and astrologers. In other words, he was wiser than all of them. In verse 12, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. So once again, God is at work, and he's inserting his faithful servant into the situation. The queen here is likely Belshazzar's grandmother. And while the king foolishly placed his hope in these crazy astrologers and magicians, the queen remembered the legacy of Daniel. Look how he's described in verse 12. An excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, the ability to interpret dreams to explain riddles, to solve problems. All of these years later, this was decades later, Daniel wasn't forgotten. But the king, oh, this king, what a foolish man. He belittles Daniel in verse 13. Oh, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Now, likely what's happening here is his language is ancestral language. He was not the son, the direct son of Nebuchadnezzar. But he remembered that there were these exiles that came. But this was, these were the people that Belshazzar held in contempt. He, he, he made fun of them. He mocked them. But notice how God, it doesn't matter to God. Look who's standing in the throne room of the king. It's Daniel. He was exceptional. He was remembered. I always find it interesting when I, when I do a funeral, um, it's really interesting to hear people talk about the, the person we're honoring because you do get some of their accomplishments. You know, somebody will normally read the eulogy and, you know, this person did this and ran this company and got a car and things like that. But what people really talk about is the person, the character of the person. And I, get, I find it interesting, if you listen carefully enough, you get to see if they really mean it or not. And if the person had strong character and they loved Jesus, it's beautiful to listen to the legacy that comes out. So you're going to be remembered for your character. I had one, one funeral I did. It was really sad. I don't think the man was a follower of Christ and, and, and some... Some guys he worked with did the eulogies, and one guy said, you know, the thing I remember about this man is that he could drink you under the table. I thought, wow. What a, what a, tra what a tragedy. Listen, if you walk with God and you love Jesus, you're going to leave a legacy. And I often think that at my funeral, what would be the best, the best, most wonderful thing to see is rows and rows of people that were impacted by Christ because I walked with him. You're going to be remembered when you walk with God. And if you feel like you're slipping through the grid of the world and nobody even knows you're alive, then God will see you and knows you. So don't spend so much time chasing the dream. Build your character. Work on things that are going to last, things that matter. And that's Daniel in a nutshell. He's knowledgeable, he's faithful, he's wise, but he's about to point out to the king that the king 
was seeking a false sense of security. Look at 17 through 21. If you, if you browse through that quickly, you'll see that Daniel summarized how God dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. That great king had learned the hard way that God is sovereign, that God rules over nations, that God appoints kings according to his will. He understood this point right here. He understood that trusting God for your security is the only sensible thing to do. You know, sometimes when we talk about spiritual things and we talk about faith, we're really, we're really taking a leap off the cliff and we're just trusting that God can catch us. But this is really common sense. Back when Nebuchadnezzar had failed to recognize God, he had been humbled in a big way. He, he had to live like an animal for seven years. But God, in his grace, gave him his throne back. But believe me, the royal family, even though this was decades later, 20 to 30 years later, they would have remembered all of that. But sadly, this current king, Belshazzar, hadn't learned from that experience. And now God's going to judge him for his arrogance. So look at 24 through 28. Then, from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And then in 26 is the interpretation of the matter. So here's what it means. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, which is a bit of a different word than parson, but it means that you have, your kingdom will be divided given to the Medes and the Persians. And if you read the verbs and, and different vowels and attach it to Aramaic consonants, here's what it really means. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Belshazzar's days were really, really numbered. And that's probably why there's a repetition there. The king had been weighed in the balance. He had been found wanting, and as a result, his kingdom would be divided between the, the Medes and the Persians. And, and just think of Daniel. Like, these, these letters are all a mystery. He comes in. He solves it just like that. But it's not like he's saying, hey, king, i got some great news for you. It's really courageous. He's a truth teller. I love that. But what a colossal blunder. I mean, Belshazzar thought that he, everything was under control, but remember at this very moment, the Persian army was about to capture the city. What they were doing is they were doing canals. They were diverting water so they could just walk under the walls, and the king was drunk and asleep spiritually. It was terrible to watch. But what did he do wrong? He put his security in all of the wrong places. I had a time in my life where I was doing that completely. I was, I was broadcasting, and I was trying to build my, my own kingdom. And I was really restless, and I was, lo I was looking for that next job, that next climb up the ladder. But my little kingdom didn't work so well. It became kind of a spiritual train wreck, to be honest. And so I remember... 
One day specifically, I was broadcasting a game between the Atlanta Falcons and the Arizona Cardinals. It was in Atlanta. It was Christmas Eve day. And this would have been really unusual for me because I love that job. And I love getting up in the morning and going like, whoa, I get to go to do an NFL game today. This is awesome. But, but I was sitting there and it struck me that this wasn't, this wasn't working. And I thought, what am I doing here? And I, and I said to God, I said, God, I, I need you to, to release me from this. I am so tired. I'm tired of trying to climb the ladder. I'm just tired of trying to be a good Christian and build my own little kingdom. It's not working. And as God would have it, a month later, the station was sold to someone else. They didn't need me anymore. And I didn't have a job for 16 months. And I couldn't find one to save my life. I mean, I was applying for jobs that were way, way underneath my capabilities and my resume. And, and I, I fought depression. But God had a plan in all of that. What, did, what was he doing? He was taking me from broadcasting into ministry. And because I was over here building my little broadcasting kingdom, I would have never done that on my own. I remember when a church came and asked, did you think about being a pastor? Are you kidding? That's what a lot of you probably say now. But uh, I said, are you kidding? I'm a broadcaster. 16 months later, I finally got the message. But you see, God had to humble me. He had to strip away the things that I thought were important. The things that I had put my security in were not the things he wanted me to. And, and that's what we do as human beings, isn't it? We, we put our security in everything but God, in crazy things. Like retirement savings, as if that can't disappear. In degrees, in, in, in having the perfect spouse and, and raising the perfect kids who one day will take care of us. <laughs> Those of you who have kids know that. That doesn't always work out. We even put our trust in self-righteousness. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty holy, so I'm, I'll be okay. And I think sometimes we think of ourselves as, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty well put together, but we need God to kind of to, to top off the gas tank. But let me just tell you what I've discovered over the years. I've discovered that I am a totally broken man. Totally. And I'm held together, honestly, by the duct tape of God's grace. Day after day, minute by minute, it's God's grace. It's, I have nothing to bring to the table spiritually that can help this equation at all. And that, I think that fuels my, my desire to pursue God, to learn more about God, and to love God. But it starts with a humbling, and that's what God was doing in this whole event. But because I'm not very bright, I had to learn the hard way too. And you see, Belshazzar had, had chosen to put his security, security in his power. He didn't need God. He had a, the big city. He had water. He had food. Well, Daniel was once again summoned, and he came into the middle of it. And in fact, the writing on the wall turned out to be absolutely true. If you look at verse 30, we see that Belshazzar's imagined security blanket was going to be torn off from under him. And it was really no security at all. 30. That very night, 
Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And just like that, this was the king of Babylon. This was, this was powerful, long-standing kingdom. And just like that, it was gone. And so, I'm going to leave you with this point today. Put your trust in God now, because life changes in an instant. The, the book of Daniel is really interesting. This all happened in 539 B.C. But the Daniel story isn't finished yet. And in fact, the book was going to become more and more now future-oriented. And what we'll see is those who refuse to repent, like Belshazzar, will face a coming judgment when Jesus returns. And so there's, there's a practical part of this that affects our daily lives, but there's a spiritual part of this where there is judgment for the wicked. Revelation 19.15. This is from the pen of John. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. What does that mean? He's going to come and he's going to strike down the wicked. And it's going to look like the fury of stamping grapes in a wine press because of the wrath of God against sin. But don't let yourself be caught in that. Submit yourself to God. And as the book now becomes more and more apocalyptic in nature, we're going to see that all of this has a future judgment and rewards. But what was the king doing? He was spiritually asleep. So let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Are you spiritually asleep? Where have you placed your trust? Have you placed your trust in, in other people? Have you placed your trust in your circumstances? In the money that you've earned? In the job that you think is going to last forever? Where have you placed your trust? We saw this morning a king that had made all the wrong decisions. And he hadn't even learned from the past. And he, he put his trust in this vast empire. And, and it must have looked to everyone like it was invincible. Except it wasn't. So this morning I'm asking you, run toward the arms of God. He loves you so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that all of that sin, all of that rebellion, all of that desire to go and build our own kingdoms, well, that sin was put on him and he died and he atoned for it as his blood ran red on the cross. And so through faith in Jesus and repentance of sin, you can live forever. You can be secure because when you're a follower of Christ, no one can ultimately crush you. Life cannot divert you from God's plan. You are safe in the arms of God. Belshazzar was a foolish man. He put his security in all the wrong places. I don't want you to do that. So why don't you just take a moment in the quietness of your own spirit. Maybe there's a place in your life where you know that you haven't given it to God, that you're trying to hold on to it. You're trying to 
you're trying to put a fence around it. Maybe you're putting on a mask for other people and it's just exhausting. And you're like me and you're going, I don't want to do this anymore. Or maybe you want to give your life to Jesus and say, I want to become a follower of yours so I can be saved. Why don't you just do that in the quietness of your spirit and then I'll close in prayer. God, as the, as the shepherd of this church, I want what's best for these wonderful sheep. And what's best is to run to you because you are the ultimate shepherd. You are the groom. You are our savior. And so God, I pray that each of us would learn that our security blankets and all the things that we depend on in our lives are just temporal And the only thing that lasts and the only thing that ultimately matters is serving you, submitting to you, loving you, telling others about you. And so God, I pray if there's anyone here that is just realizing that they need you, that you would draw them to yourself that you would hear the words of repentance for our arrogance and pride. And that we, as we sing now, we would lift you up as the, the God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, sovereign and good and loving and kind and full of grace. And we sing that now with open hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.